Welcome to episode number nine of the Backlash Podcast. I am Jeff Widman with Team Rhino Outdoors. Tonight I have three guests. I'll let them introduce themselves. Go ahead, Brad. Brad Hoppy, uh, co-hosting and uh, for Musky Mayhem Tackle. I got my wife, Carrie, here with me, and, and uh, we have Matt Seifert here with us. Um, spent the weekend together fishing Minnesota opener. Matt runs Musky Mercenary Guide Service. Matt, it's good to have you on. Yeah, good to be on. Uh, should be fun. Uh, Matt Seifert, uh, run Musky Mercenary Guide Service. I guide on uh, most of northern Minnesota. Uh, do some walleye guiding in the cities when I'm home with my family. But uh, yeah, should be a good time. We're, we're looking forward to this one. Uh, finally opener, you know. Um, how'd things go for you this weekend, Jeff? Um, I ditched out of work on Thursday and Friday. I didn't get up north as early as I wanted to on Thursday. I was pretty much bombarded by mosquitoes. Uh, four days earlier, I didn't even realize that four days earlier I was up, there was no mosquitoes anywhere to be found. And then I went up on Thursday. It was a nice day. I had shorts on, I got on the water and it was unbelievable. I just could not keep the stupid things off me. I had to put my rain gear on to keep them off me. So it's a good thing my Sims rain gear works well to keep mosquitoes away. I had some light gloves in one of my video camera bags that I put on to keep them off my hands. And then they were still irritating me, so I decided to troll the rest of the evening on Thursday, and I got nothing. And then on <laughs> Friday, I um, yeah, I basically took the advice of our earlier podcast, and I decided to throw a bucktail. So I spent a good portion of the day throwing a bucktail, and... Probably, uh, oh, hopefully a musky mayhem bucktail. Well, I did for a while. Unfortunately, it wasn't the musky mayhem that connected. It was a little tiny MEPS. It was a MEPS oh number five or something. So I threw it back old school because you told me to go bucktail and you told me to go old school, Brad. So that's what I did. So there you go. <laughs> and Good I got, for you, Jeff. I got myself like a 30-incher, which... You know, it's not the 54-inch giant that I would have got if I would have went 40 minutes north to Green Bay instead I decided to drive two hours. Um, but, you know, for me, it was just about getting out and just breaking the ice, I guess, and trying to put something together. You know, it is like I hadn't had a lot of time on the water, but uh, with time on, you know, as as the season builds and you spend more time on the water and you don't have, a you know, any success, it uh, it starts to play with your brain a little bit and you start to second-guess yourself a little too much. You think about lakes, depths, baits, speeds, all that stuff way too much. I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Where were you fishing? Um, I was, I have a place, uh, I have a camper in a campground up by Pelican Lake. So from there, I just generally go like most of Oneida and like the lower part of Vilas County I'll spend time in. Um, this one, I was up by like Three Lakes area. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that's cool. Matt came... Matt came this weekend, and this is kind of, hopefully it's becoming an annual thing. Um, it really hasn't paid off in numbers of fish last year or this year, but but we did get a little bit of the stink out of the boat this weekend, actually today. Um, we got a fish in the boat today, so that was a good thing. But, uh, you know, Matt and I both like to do the open water trolling um, in the month of June. We're just not quite there yet. Um, our water temps have actually climbed pretty good. We fished two different bodies of water this weekend. And, um, we learned some stuff, you know, we've seen where the fish are, they're transitioning. Um, actually we've seen some purposing in the open water, 
And I'm going to turn it over to Matt and kind of let him explain what's taking place. Um, we've had fun. We did a little walleye fishing the last couple nights and had success with that. But the muskies are still probably about a week behind right now, I would say. Yeah, I would say for sure a week behind. Um, it looked so good beginning of May. Uh, walleyes were doing good. Uh, I got I got the opportunity to fish the St. Croix River. Um, which is by my house, which is border water. So that opened up a week before the Minnesota walleye opener. Um, we had an awesome opener, crushed them. Um, walleye fishing was phenomenal, and it was warming up so fast. I thought, oh, man, muskie fishing is going to be great. So much better than last year when it went from ice to 90 degrees. So we finally got our spring this year we wanted, but the last two weeks have been definitely a bad cold front. Um, the other guys have been talking to walleye fishing, it's like, even on the last that far south, it's been spot locked and pitch jigs to catch them. I mean, the point three seems to be the theme this year, 0.3 miles per hour to catch fish. Um, it's, everyone's running their normal 0.5 to 0.8, wasn't catching anything. So that was fun. But getting up here now up north, because I got to fish the Croy opener also for muskies uh, last weekend. We got one right away, but the, that's up 12 feet. So we're in major flood stage. Um, so that's been tough. There's been a few males moving around, but um, getting up here and just talking to friends. I haven't been up here. I just got came up Friday, but um, it seems like 58, 59 was kind of the theme for water temps in this area in western Minnesota. Um, and it jumped to 64 this weekend, which makes you happy, but it's been a day and they don't finish spawning until 60. So uh, the muskies don't anyway. So it was good. We did see today the water was whole held steady at 64. Yesterday it got real windy and started dropping to 61. Um, we saw quite a few fish today, though. Yeah, we saw fish casting um, yesterday. Trolling open water. Um, the water temps were 62. Started out right when we launched. It was 65. One side of the lake was 62. The other it side was like a little cooler. Yeah, 57. Yeah. We saw, which I think was. The inlets was the coldest. Um, but when I fish open water, obviously, I think Brad's, I, you know, I mostly fish open water in the past have been my vermilion bites, which is 62 degrees. If it's a nice, steady warm up, 62 degrees, it's game on. Now, 60, you can catch them in the open water. But 62, mayflies are starting to move. You'll see the bug movement at 60 on the bottom if you're out in the mud. Uh, if you're out walleye fishing or something, you'll see that that hour before sundown, you'll start to see those mayflies thick up 15 to 20 feet off the surface. And the second it hits 62, you're catching muskies, lots of them. Um, and like last year, we came up here and it was a weird spring. We yeah, caught one. We were setting lines. We caught one right away. And the water temps weren't warm. And this morning we set up and we saw fish porpoise in around our boards and we didn't catch one trolling. We, we were a little bit behind on the major this morning. Um had we been out maybe an hour earlier where we were set up and, you know, we had a couple porpoises right out there, like Matt just said. And um, so there's some fish out there. I just think that they're, they're recovering, you know? Yeah, for sure. We did, we slid into the shallows yesterday. We went into a back bay just to check it. And we were just pushing fish with the boat. They weren't following. They were sitting there and those were the males. We didn't even see the females. Um, they were all lower forties yesterday. Uh, but today with those warmer water temps and then the only fish we did mark in the open water on our side imaging were in that 30 foot range, you know, with the 
lake with basins up to over 100 feet deep to get to the edge and then see them right in near mud though they were still over mud and they were next to bait but the big ciscos are not schooled up yet they're not they're real deep yet um hugging the bottom tight so the muskie we did see in the open water was on bait but it was young of the year ciscos the small five inch stuff but it was still it wanted to be out there so yeah. it'll it'll be very close to the open water bite. It's getting super close, Joe. Well, that's good because I got a trip over there in less than uh, two weeks. I think it's today's the second, so I think it's uh, what thirteen days. Less than thirteen days, we'll be on the water together. So that'll be good. I mean, that'd be great if it sets up so that we can hit that. Because obviously, we want to run some cameras. Um, speaking of cameras, did you guys run anything? Because uh, rumor has it that uh, Keys Outdoors has a video contest going this year it's a monthly contest and an annual contest i think right carrie yeah so if you go to keysoutdoors.com there's a link up at the upper upper right i believe it says quick quick clip video contest if you click that you can submit your videos right to quick trip or right to keys out keys outdoors and uh i think what is the prize is like up to fourteen hundred dollars for the for the winner at the end or something is that right Carrie? it's 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 yeah, actually 17 all right yep you get you get um prizes from us musky ma'am tackle prizes from musky innovations from phantom lures from team rhino from quick trip and from angle coolers for the grand prize you, mu- you guys must have talked to melissa to okay that uh for team rhino outdoors huh uh, no, I think we talked to you. <laughs> Doesn't seem like something I would donate to, but I'm just, you know, just saying. <laughs> uh, the, the... We, di- we didn't talk to anybody, Jeff. We just made the decision for that company. Oh, that was nice of you. <laughs> well, rumor has rumor has it that you can win a $40 gift card to Team Rhino Outdoors just uh, every month, too, for a monthly winner. Just for entering. Yeah. Yep, just for entering. Um, the, the catch is though, that you have to catch your fish on a musky mayhem tackle product, um, uh, musky innovations tackle product or a phantom lures product. Perfect. So in order to submit your video, it has to be caught on one of those baits. And then you can just upload your video right through the link off of keys outdoors website. Well, did the musky that hit your boat, did that come off of one of those three products? It did, but the chick who was running the video camera forgot to hit record. Unbelievable. <laughs> you have For an epic figure eight it was, fish. It too. would have been. It was an epic figure eight fish that the fish ate the bait, spit the bait, and then came back after the bait and got hooked again. And um, yeah, it was an epic fail on the camera girls. So we're, bl- so we're blaming Mika? Yeah, something like that. All right. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> She's so, probably so, in bed so. and can't defend herself, so you might as well blame her, right? Correct. Um, Mika's yeah. in bed, but um, I think it was the big Mika that uh, kind of <laughs> failed. I think she double pumped the record button. So she hit record and then hit it again and it shut down. Um, yeah, but, we, but we did get the release shot and it was on a JR3. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, I can't believe how this fish, I mean, it was pinned up lost it and uh matt's best friend and he's become a great friend of ours as well um todd he uh he kept doing his figure eight and he was visual and um that fish came just right back in and crushed it again it was unbelievable i 
after being pinned the way it was, I never would have dreamt it would have ate the way it did again. But we got it in the bag, and it was cool. Yeah, that bait. They want that bait. That was my first fish, too, on opener on the Croy last weekend. Brought it in. I was not ready. Fourth cast in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning. And here comes the fish, and I am not ready to figure eight yet. I hadn't even done an L-turn yet, I don't think. I was still trying not to get a backlash. <laughs> so it took me about nine turns to get back to form, and it ate it once I got to form. But they do like those baits a lot, that's for sure. Go, I, it's really funny, Jeff. Um, you know, day two of Minnesota season, day two of my muskie season this year. So, you know, Matt at least got the fish last weekend. Um, trying to work the kinks out. It's kind of funny. Uh, it's almost like you forget over the winter, I guess. And and some of the movements and things like that in the boat probably aren't as sharp as they will be, like, say, two weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been pretty fun. I bet mine will still be super dull. <laughs> say, I don't know if mine are ever going to get sharp. It might take till like, September. <laughs> I, I was bouncing for hours after we got out of the boat yesterday where everything was still moving with the boat all evening. Yeah, yesterday was blowing and it was windy, but we only casted for what half an hour yesterday or an hour. Yeah, we we hit two spots. Yeah, we hit we cast for about an hour. A couple spots, yeah. So. so, Matt, let's talk a little bit about the JR3 and, um, like in the early season, since you guys have had a little bit of luck on it already this year, are you are you just slow rolling that thing, or how? What's the retrieve like on it? Uh, well, go ahead and tell them, man. All right, I'll tell them. Me and Todd call it client speed, um, which is something me and Ron Estrand and Bob Benson, a couple of buddies of mine, always say. What, what's your speed? Well, it's either burning it, slow rolling it, or client speed, which is just. <laughs> normal just bringing it in playing it jane three to four feet down maybe five feet down um and like i said i've never used these baits in the spring before i got them so beginning of september last year we got them i had some guys from sweden we put them on we caught like three a day it was or four or five a day I don't, it was crazy the fish it was like when the cowgirls first came out again they don't they eat them they come into the figure eight they don't leave it's like 06 in minnesota again like where the fish are dumber in the box of rocks they just have to eat the bait it doesn't matter what you do in the figure eight like today it got on pin comes back eats it again i watched a fish on the croy with me completely botching it where any fish would have left normally and it did not leave it wanted the bait so that's kind of been my the jr3 actually for me has been a little bit but i put the jr4 on because it was the right color for the croy last Saturday and the fish did the same thing. I think last, I only got it to throw them for a little bit last year. So I, the JR three had a success right away and we kept it on. But as soon as I put that JR on four on, it was the same thing. And the showgirls, obviously there isn't a three bladed showgirl one. So the DS four was very successful last year too. We had, and that, that those back two blades walk so good on that thing. It looks like a fishtail coming in. You burn that thing. That tail's, swinging three or four inches left and right those back two blades so, Not to make... i don't know it's fun it's it's like starting over again it's it's a fun new thing to do not to make it sound like an infomercial for musky mayhem baits but um what's for guys that haven't used it or aren't even really familiar with the jr3 and the jr4 um you want to tell talk about how hard it is to pull it in because i think a lot of people see the extra blade or blades on it and they 
they're a bit intimidated by it, especially us Wisconsin guys, because we like to use little tiny maps marabou's. So, uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Um, well, I think we were just. I had a well. I mean, how should I say this? Go ahead and tell him. We we built a custom bait for Matt because he wanted to play with some different stuff. And I yeah, I have a some giant ones like a ten nine combo with supermodel back blades. Um, which I haven't got to try at night yet. And then when I do, it'll be a massacre, I'm sure. But um, that wasn't that bad to reel in because I'm not burning it, obviously. Um, but for the JR4, I was reeling that in all weekend last weekend. Or oh, I guess I only fished Saturday. but So I reeled that in Saturday um, and then put a junior on. And I didn't notice a huge difference. And I think I would compare that bait, like the JR4, to a 10 just a regular cowgirl but the jr3 is exactly the same as a junior that single blade just doesn't pull in the back it's got a nice stump but it doesn't pull there's no difference at all and honestly jeff i think what you know i agree with you there's been a lot of people that look at it i would say the ds4 is probably more popular because they, they see that it's a little smaller they're worried it's going to pull hard at the end of the day you know, those front blades are cutting the water and the rear blades. Yeah, they're are, creating are, a vortex for the back blades. I think that's why the back blades can walk so much. Because they have such easy work to do with the two blades in the front pulling all the weight. It, it cancels out, you know. It, it's like pulling a junior. It really is. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I played around with them in the pool a little bit, and I thought the same thing. But I'm certain, other, I'm certain people are looking at it and seeing the extra blades, and they're just thinking to myself, you know, to themselves, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to throw this thing all day long. That's funny. Me and my friends would want one with seven blades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more it hurts, the more fish you catch, right? But no, it really is. It is easy to reel in. I don't think it's hard at all. And the best thing is, they've never seen it before. So it's great. I mean, I guess last fall we crushed them on them. So, but half the fish last fall were in the figure eight. And it was so funny. I mean, I'm used to being on Vermilion that I come over and we caught him on Vermilion, especially on the DS4, but that's the only bait I had at the time there. I didn't have the JRs yet. Um, the JR3 or the JR4. And we caught him on the, me and Bob did real well on the um, DS4s there on Vermilion. And I came here in a super clear water. And I thought, well, it's, it's so hard to catch them on Vermilion. And if this clear water, I wonder how this is going to be. Well, <laughs> would you put a JR3 or a JR4 there? It was silly. They wouldn't leave. It didn't matter what you did. Some of these guys from Sweden, I mean, they pike fish. They've never figurated. I mean, a couple times when they've come here, and they're not necessarily the best at it. Some of them are very good at it, but um, the fish won't leave. They eat the bait, as proven to today again. So it was bizarre, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. As as per the last podcast, I might have to take some of our own advice and actually break one out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I I think we talked about it a few podcasts in that, you know, uh, the beginning of the season, people are going to downsize and they're going to throw small. I'm the total opposite. And actually, we talked to a few pro staffers today um, while we were fishing. I got a few phone calls and uh, they're, they were talking about how they had downsized. And at the end of the day, they were throwing supermodels and they were actually moving fish. And I'm, I'm like, wow. You know, that's my theory. I, I think everybody else is out on the water throwing something small. 
I'm going to give these fish something to eat. I'm going to give them a big bait. I don't care what that big bait is. You know, if it's big blades, maybe it's a supermodel. If it's big rubber, maybe it's a, a mag dog or a, a pounder, you know. Um, give them a real meal. And uh, a lot of times I think that triggers some of those big, lazy females that have just got off the spawn. And I think that that correlates with uh, early spring. Opposite of what other people are doing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the last last spring I was in Mille Lacs, I was Todd was with me again, my cousin Nate, and Nate got one on a pounder heli dog. And I thought, why are you throwing that? And that was a long time ago. But I remember, and ever since then, that bait's been one of my best opener baits. That super slow rolled big topwaters too with prop baits, just super slow. So the bit, tail barely turns. It just seems like the slow and big is just as good as the small and fast or the super small and erratic. So that's always been a good bite for me. Big bait. The heli dog is awesome. That pounder heli dog on opener is always a good bait. Just the hang time is awesome on it. Slow and steady, I, I think, too, a lot of times in this colder water. And, you know, these fish are a little bit negative. Hanging in their face isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I tried that technique, too, on Friday. Unfortunately, it didn't work. It was it was still slow, but it was slow and small. I didn't go slow and big. Maybe this weekend when I get out, I'll have to try slow and big. There is, right. a, there is a chance I'm going to skip out on work again on Thursday and go up to Green Bay. I've had a couple offers to go up there, and but the guys that I know aren't going to be, we're not going to be fishing the river. We're going to be fishing in the bay, and that's at least a little bit better. You can get away from people, so I might, I might have to give some of that a try. You know this this gig about working for uh, Team Rhino Outdoors sounds pretty good. Uh, skipping out on work, you know, Thursdays and Fridays, and probably the weekend. Uh, are you hiring by chance? Yeah, it's not bad at all. I mean, you just got to make sure that your <laughs> wife takes care of everything else while you do all this. It's perfect. <laughs> Wait, you kind of know how that is, Brad. Carrie does oh, yeah, all the work. Brad knows that you know, same deal. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty fortunate too, Jeff. So <laughs> I can't complain. You know, you know what it is. As long as the work gets done, it doesn't matter what hours you work. Just you know, so I'll have the days off, and then I'll work until one thirty in the morning, two o'clock in the morning to get my stuff done, and then I'll go and you know screw around for a little while. But eventually, you, you're going to pay the price whether you you know when you're taking the days off. You know how that goes. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. The beauty of being self-employed, and, and Matt knows a little bit about being self-employed as well. <laughs> I think what we should do is probably get to the nitty gritty about who Matt Seifert is and, and what he really is all about and what he does for uh, the public. And, you know, Matt, Matt's a great fisherman and I'll tell you what, um, he's a great friend. He's on our pro staff and um, he's, uh, he's got a lot of ability in this whole thing of fishing. So I'd like to hear what he's got to say, you know, whether it be about walleyes or muskies and, and kind of uh, what he's doing with his, his business. Well, <laughs> I got a wife and two little kids at home, so it gets a little tough at times, but um, I guide walleyes as much as I can. Uh, I'll even mix in a day of walleyes just to keep everything fresh while during musky season, but maybe on a 10-day stretch, I'll take one walleye trip. Or an evening. Um, or an evening, but um, I do love walleyes. I love crappies even more. Um I like catching everything, but, and I get a kick out of that. A lot of guys, um, 
they brag about how their boat never sees the water until it's musky season. I go, okay, well, then you blew it because you're not learning anything about the ecosystem. Because studying bugs, my dad always told me when I was little, he said, you learn the bugs and you'll learn what the fish are doing. So we always studied the bugs. My dad would give me books, fishing books, you know, whatever we could find, encyclopedias, whatever it took. Um, but that was always, that's how I grew up. Um, I don't know, I guess, should I start at the beginning or what, what do you want me to talk about here? I think you should maybe share with the listeners um, kind of your transition through the season and, and where you're guiding and what you're doing. So Okay. Um, yeah, so I start guiding walleyes on in March on the Pool 4 in Red Wing on the Mississippi and then go to the Croix as soon as the Croix opens up. Um, guide walleyes every day till musky opener and then it's pretty much muskies from there on out um maybe i'll get smarter when i'm older and i won't do that anymore but maybe when i'm like 70 i'll stop trying to catch muskies <laughs> you mean when you're Brad, your brad's age you're gonna stop catching muskies <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i'll uh, shave the beard and then i'll look young again Joe. <laughs> yeah. he's be, got a baby face under that beard it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't give you a hard time brad It'll be albino under that beard now. Um, So, yeah, then I usually, um, my June bite is croy opener, super shallow flats normally if it's not 12 feet over normal depth. Um, And we usually do very good there. We throw a lot of headlock baits. Um, We do good on the supernatural big baits down there. Um, That and our normal bites, just chartreuse juniors or chartreuse showgirls, super, super fast. But with the deep water, we've had a slow roll this year. Um, and then move to Vermilion for the open water bite. Um, when I'm done in the metro, as soon as the water warms up a little bit, I move. I have a 12-day stretch on Vermilion every year that are my favorite clients. We usually catch so many fish. It's so fun, that open water bite in June. Um, and July is usually family time The first for the 4th and then uh summer peak begins which is the best bite of the year obviously um when all the fish come up shallow out of the open water and eat everything uh and that's usually spent on vermilion this year is going to be spent here on western minnesota um yeah just fish all year i guess (laughs) but i'll be back in vermilion in august for a while i'll be here as well and then october i'm here for half the month and Vermilion half the month, and then I'll be in November in Mille Lacs, or be in Mille Lacs in November, um, casting and trolling there. So, but this June is kind of my favorite, it's turned into my favorite month. Um, I was pumped when me and Brad spent more time together a couple years ago. He invited me up, and we got to do the open water thing. And that whole trolling thing with the mega imaging has kind of changed fishing. Well, mega imaging changed fishing completely, really. Here we go again. I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> what, Jeff. Um, you know, every it's been a common topic on all of our podcasts is, is mega imaging. And I owe that to Matt. Matt is the one that taught me that. Um, whether people admit it or not, Matt is the guy that has uh, taught quite a few people, actually. Um, he He's incredible using that tool. And so if you have any questions with mega imaging, Matt's the guy to ask. Yeah, I do love it. Um, I bought one unit. I liked it. I had Lowrance. I had Hummingbird. And when the Mega came out, I bought one. I had I had just bought a boat and I needed it. And I felt good about my side imaging. I saw fish 
everywhere except in the weeds and rocks. And then when I got the mega, when you see the fins on them, I mean, just the fact in these, you know, any cabbage based lake where you can just drive around now at two and a half to three miles an hour and say, well, there's seven in that weed bed, there's 11 in that weed bed, and there's 35 in that weed bed. So you know which one to fish. I mean, granted, I've written a few articles about it. It can also ruin you because you're fishing fish that aren't active when there might be five fish on a point, but the wind's hitting that are active. So you have to play your cards right. But it's it's literally changed musky fishing in my mind. I mean, and the fact that it reaches the surface and no other brand will do that as of now. I mean, I'm, the pan optics is amazing as well. Um, and I've, I mean, I'm not, I don't fish for any of them, but, um, so I'm not here to pump one brand, but I use the mega imaging cause it's the best one. Uh, the, I love the live scope. It's super fun. It's fun pitching jigging wraps to walleyes with the live scope. Um, it's fun trolling crankbaits and eight feet of water for walleyes with the live scope. You can watch the walleyes come up and hit your bait. It's like a video game. It's so fun, but it only shoots 65 feet. They say it shoots 80, but everything's fuzzy after 65 feet. So that to me is not relevant to musky fishing. When you can cast 200 feet, why would you want something that only sees 65? Um, now, granted, the Mega, I mean, I, I use it at 90 casting. It took me a little bit to get to 90, 95 casting. Uh, I would recommend everyone starts at 60 um, just to kind of get to see what they're looking at. But so in share, open water, you can run 100 feet. Share share with us, though, Matt, why why would you start at 60? I mean, give us an explanation. I, I know why, but I want the the public to hear it. Why you would start at 60 and then stretch your, your width band? Well, I guess everyone that asks me the question always says, well, I don't know, even know what I'm looking at. It's It's, you know, Chinese. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Well, first of all, half the time, they don't even know how the side imaging works, which is just a narrow beam that shoots pretty much directly under your boat. I mean, I don't know exactly what Lawrence is reading, but a hummingbird only misses about eight inches under your boat, the very center of your boat, eight inches to two feet, depending on your depth. But it shoots almost all the way to the surface. It does shoot to the surface if you tilt your transducer down. Now, if you read the directions, it says mount your transducer level to the hull, and everybody does that, which... When you mount it level, if you have it too low, that water is hitting the front of that transducer, even at two miles an hour. And you get these little bubbles that roll underneath the transducer. I swam under a boat to look at it. I mean, maybe I'm weird, but <laughs> that's what I did. I rig boats, so I always like to know exactly what's going on. But by lowering the back of that transducer, like a quarter to a even a half an inch, you're only going to lose. I mean, you might gain six inches and 30 feet of water on your depth reading. It's not going to affect you at all. But if you lower the back of the transducer too far on a mega imaging or any hummingbird, you'll see the rain if it rains, and then you can't see anything. And you'll see every white cap on the lake. So you get to see the surface is why I run hummingbirds mostly. That's why I always ran hummingbirds. And then when the mega came out, it was even more of a for sure thing. So by lowering that transducer, the back of the transducer, you have to play with it. If you get it too low, you're going to see the rain, but you won't get any bubble trails. It pushes on the water smoothly. You get a nice pitcher. Your pitch will be twice as clear as everybody else's. Um, so you get out there, and I tell people, so you just launch your boat. You got your transducer mounted. If you angled it down, you're way ahead of the game already. You get out on the lake. 
and you put it in the factory setting comes at 120 feet and almost every guy i talk to jeff has it at 120 feet and 120 feet you're just not going to see the detail with mega you can if you're going slow enough but and everyone says you know it's structure scan you go six miles an hour five miles an hour i would not recommend that sure you can find a hump to go fish walleyes on at six miles an hour and if you rig it the way I rig it, you can find that hump at 47 miles an hour. And your um, auto chart live, you can map at 45 to 46 miles an hour. Now, that's on a Ranger. Uh, I don't know about a Lund or a Lumicraft or alumin any aluminum boat. I don't know. I've never mapped on a boat like that. But uh, if you start at 60 feet, even 45 feet just to kind of get what you're looking at. Look at your GPS, drive over a point, watch the point, you know, your, your left and right come together, it gets shallower. You see the rocks on the point, you see whether it's weeds or rocks, you'll see all that at 45 feet. Start at 45 feet and drive around for two hours, then start at 60 feet and drive around for three hours and then go to 70 feet. And once you feel like you have a good, because I mean, another thing people don't get, if you're in 40 feet of water and you have your side imaging at 100 feet, am I boring you yet, Jeff? Or are you nope, listening? This is all good. Perfect. Okay. All right. So a lot of people don't get this, but if you're if you're ranged 100 feet, um, just this is easier for me to do math. I'm not that smart. So let's say you got 100 feet on each side of the boat that you're looking at, and you're in 30 feet of water. So you got the black spot under the boat, and everyone thinks that's open water. That's how it's laid out on the screen for you to see left and right. That's not the open water. The open water is all the way to the surface. That little beam, it's not a cone. It's nothing. It's just a beam, a half an inch wide beam that's shooting eight inches. I mean, directly under your boat, all the way to the surface. And that beam's going super fast back and forth all the way to the surface. Well, it's showing you the bottom of the lake and you see a walleye on the bottom of the lake or you see a rock pile. And you look on your screen and it's halfway to the 100 foot mark. And you say that rock pile's 50 feet away, but you're in 30 feet of water. It's not 50 feet away where the white stuff starts. You got to take that away. So it's a, if you, you know, you have an arm that's sticking out to your right and it's shooting down. You're sitting in a chair and you put your arm out to your right. It reads 100 feet of the surface. But by the time that arm starts to fall and it hits the bottom in 30 feet, that so now you take away 30 you know so now you only see 70 feet of the bottom so that picture on your right of the bottom is 70 feet of the bottom that you're seeing on your right you've seen 100 feet of the surface above that 70 feet of the bottom but just it, put your arms next to you, sit in a chair and put your arms next to you and lift them up and down like you're flapping your wings you see 100 feet on the surface of the water and you've dropped 30 feet you're not going to see a hundred feet of the bottom of the lake. The arm doesn't adjust. And if you're in 50 feet, then you only see 50 feet of the bottom. It hit, by the time it hits the bottom, it's at a 45 degree angle. So you only see 50 feet of that bottom. That's why they move the bottom over on the side, on the, on the viewing screen. That's why that black part gets bigger. That's the only reason there's a black spot around your boat. Because if you're in one foot of water, there's no black spot. It's just sand on each side of your boat or mud on each side of your boat. Does, I just, does that make sense, Jeff? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense to me. All right. So I think if everyone could just picture themselves flapping their wings like a bird, you get 100 feet when your arms are perfectly sideways. And as soon as your arms start to drop, 
when it hits whatever depth that you drop down, that's what you see at the bottom. But just remember, anything you see above that bottom. So when you're running your boat at 0.5 miles an hour walleye fishing, and you see these little black shadows in the sand, those are all walleyes. Okay, if they're not rocks, if they're not round. And you see these little white lines, and you say, oh, those are, and it's, so, it's such a hard bottom, you're not necessarily see the white line of the fish, you'll just see the black shadows. So you pitch your jig out at them, and you'll start catching them. That's a good way to learn. These guys should be doing this on opener. And they should be crappie fishing even before that. If you want to get dialed in, go find crappies on the thing. They're perfect, perfect round shadows. The fish are suspended off the bottom, whether it's six feet or 30 feet. You'll find them in the spring, and that's a good way to learn. That, that'll give you the time. Guys get out. They finally get to go musky fishing. They're panicked. They want to burn bucktails, and they never look at their side imaging. And the guys around the water every day are catching way more fish with the mega imaging. It's well, completely one, changed everything. One thing that I would say, though, Matt, you know, like you're talking crappies, they generally are off the bottom. So, Correct. you know, the neat thing about crappies is that you will have that white line. You'll have that shadow. Um, talk about the distance between the white line and the shadow. Okay. Yeah. So now you have a suspended situation. We'll start in 50 foot of mud with your side imaging at 100 feet left and right. Now, I don't believe you should ever go over 100 feet because after 100 feet, everything is so small and you lose distortion. I run mine at 95 in the open water and 85 casting. But let's just say for math wise, we're at 100 feet left and right. And I'm driving along and forget that bottom, the dark spot under your boat with the bottom on the right. Forget about that. That bottom, those two lines you see at the bottom, when the bottom starts on the right and left of the boat and go all the way down the screen, Every time you look at it, you should picture those two left and right bottom things directly under your boat. But the screen's wider than that because that's showing you what the surface reading is. But it's convenient because if you see a muskie 15 feet away from the boat in 30 feet of water, you're going to see this big, bright white thing. And if you zoom in on it, you'll see the tails. Uh, you'll see the fins, everything. Um, but then now you have to read the shadow. So picture it. Now you got this beam that's shooting left and right. Just imagine it's a flashlight because that's what it is. It's like a video camera flashlight. That's what I call it. And it's this video camera that's shooting up and down and it hits a fish and it's bright white because the light, the beam of the light is so bright. Now you get the shadow and the shadow will tell you everything. If the shadow's squirrely, the fish is swimming. It's moving. I mean, I've passed fish open water trolling. And I see this little white dot and there's two white dots in front of it or this white line. It's a muskie and there's two white dots in front of it. And I know they're adult Cisco's. If they're showing up half the size of the muskie. They're 21 inch Cisco's, big ones. Um, and then I look at the white line shadow and I get two black dots from the Cisco's. And then the white line of the or the black shadow from the white line is a squiggly mark. So I know that muskie's moving and then it's a countdown. I mean, you can count it down eight seconds. Your rod goes off every time. Now, if you see one and it's looking at you, you're going to see a white dot, and then you'll see this long shadow, super long black shadow. And that's because the muskie's either facing you or facing away. And under three miles an hour, you'll actually see the tail on it and see which way it's facing. So just if you picture it as a flashlight, it's so much easier. But then you also have to, once you see it, that's a muskie, okay? In 100 feet of water, you can't see any bottom on the screen. The whole screen's black. Now, you're not going to know where the shadow is. You don't know how deep the fish is in 100 feet. There's no way to tell. Then you have to adjust your baits. In 20 feet of water, okay, I got a fish 
35 feet from the boat if it was on the surface. So it could be anywhere from 25 to 35 feet away, depending on how deep it is. But then look at the shadow. Okay, the shadow is exactly half the distance from the boat. So if you've got a fish at 20 or 35 feet and you've got a shadow at 70 feet, you know that fish is exactly in the middle of the water column. You know what I'm saying there? Yeah, the um, you're talking about picturing it like the flashlight. That's the way I was always described to it, and that's the way it made that that helped me make more sense of it right from the beginning. Um, not to cut you off on it, but so like if somebody's just new into it, and I really sometimes I don't like the fact that we talk about side imaging every single episode because it honestly feels <laughs> like we're a hummingbird, like we're sponsored by hummingbird. But everybody knows in reality this is more like Sesame Street. We're sponsored by the letter Z and the number four. That's how bad this is. Um, anyways, um, so, you know, with that, what's like, is, is it just best for guys to take their, their units and just get out on the water, play around with the settings like you had talked about and just drive around for a couple hours? Is that what, is that what, how you learned it? Yeah. I mean, I'm in the boat every day, so it's a lot easier. These guys that aren't in the boat every day, I think the best thing you can do is put it at 45 feet and drive around in a 12 foot basin. If you can find one, you know, 12 to 20 foot basin with rocks and weeds and whatever else is in there. Out Trees, just figure out what you're looking at. And then to do it at slow speeds is even more important. So you look at a spot, you drive by the spot, it lays it all out for you. And you're like, okay, I, I didn't know there was two big dead trees down there. I didn't know there was a rock pile right there. And I didn't realize there was cabbage outside of that coontail. So you'll see all that. Then when you get to go fish it at a slow thing and a lot of guys change their chart speed that's another thing that's really important don't change your chart speed then you're always messing around buttons if you didn't change it back then you're looking at something different than you saw last time just keep it the same all the time the fish will show up with perfect shadows at whatever chart speed but your structure will look the same every time if you keep your chart speed i leave mine at three some guys leave theirs at two or four i don't know anyone that runs it faster or lower than that Um, i know some guys that run one and they can't see anything so I always run three chart speed. And the only other thing you have to worry about is sensitivity and contrast. That's your only, and sharpness off. Make sure your sharpness is off. Those are your three settings. Sharpness off, sensitivity, and contrast. If you do not turn your sensitivity and contrast down on sand, if you're fishing Leech Lake and you're running and gunning the reeds, every fish, you'll barely see the shadow. Turn your sensitivity down to three and you'll get beautiful black shadows. You can actually go, you can burn bucktails at 1.5 miles per hour and you'll see every single fish. Otherwise, you get this very pale shadow that looks like a bluegill. It just looks like a dark spot in the sand if your sensitivity is at 11 or something. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's, but it's simple if you come down from 120 feet. Is that with mega imaging, everything's half the size you get over a megahertz i mean it's everything smaller so two two years ago jeff with matt in my boat um or in his boat actually um when he first showed me the the mega imaging because i had played with side uh, or uh, side imaging she's i don't even remember 2006 ish um i had both lawrence and i had hummingbird as well and um I'm like, yeah, yeah, this isn't for me, you know, and I was trolling in the open water. I was casting. I was doing all different things and I had both units and 
I pretty much wrote it off. But when Matt showed me this two seasons ago, and we were trolling the open water, and we were trolling some really deep water, kind of like what what you're going to be doing here in a couple of weeks with me, um, you're never going to get a shadow because we're going to be in 60 to 110 feet of water. But you'll get that bright white line of the fish. And even like Matt said earlier, you can still see the tail. You know which which direction that fish is actually going. Um, but now when you get into the shallows, um, you're going to start seeing those shadows and then it all really, really becomes apparent. Um, yeah. I mean, if bizarre. you've got a white line right next to the boat and the shadows at the edge of the screen, you should be clipping your bait on right at the top of the leader. Because most of the time in open water, I'm only running six to 12 feet of line out. You know, certain areas, Walker Bay for one, you're running way more line usually. Um but a lot of these other lakes, when it's when it's go time, when the mayflies are hatching, the ciscos are on the surface, the muskies are as well. And you only need five feet of line out from your board. I think a lot of times in the open water, people are um, they're fishing below the muskies. Their baits are below where the fish are actually at. And predator fish always, generally, always, I say generally, they'll feed up. So... Keep in mind, you know, your bait's higher is probably a better thing in the open water. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get scared, like, oh, man, I'm only down six feet. I need to be down 12. Well, when they say that to you, just tell them, all right, so I'm, we're in a 20-foot boat. I'm standing in the front. You're standing in the back. And you've seen a musky move in the figure eight or come after a bait boat side. And you don't think that muskie will swim up from me to you in a half a second to eat a bait? Don't get below them is all I have to. I mean, I don't fish Wisconsin, so I don't. I know some guys here that troll deep and catch them. But our fish, the leech lakers, I don't believe rarely. I'd never run a bait deeper than eight feet. Yep. I, a couple, you know, unless it's November, I'll run down 14, 15 feet. But in the summer, they, the leech lakers just don't go deep. You don't. I mean, they might go down. 12 to 14 feet i don't believe they even go below 12 most of the time so we we were right around the major today we're playing in the open water we're doing some trolling and uh guess what we've seen two fish right on the surface today i mean they're they're porpoising their backs are you know in the sun um i call it sunbathing but so you know if they're that high in the water column it's hard to run a bait, you know, unless you're running top water. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why we clip on right above the leader. Four feet of line, bait's running three inches below the surface. Sometimes that's all it takes. But you never know. That's why the side imaging is so awesome. But I think people would catch more fish in the open water if they ran shallower. In the springtime, open water trolling, for sure. Yeah. I would agree. That's pretty much the way it is when I do some trolling. I, I, I always, the my general rule is always err on being higher than lower. It's way easier for yeah, them to come up and get a bait than it is to go down. Exactly. Their eyes are on top of their head for a reason. And like you were talking about, not running baits down much more than eight feet. That's pretty typical for me. I mean, if I'm running a bait, uh, like maybe 20 feet of line back would be, eh, I mean, sometimes I go a little bit more, but it's not real often. Yeah, I'm a, I'm like the 40, 40 feet rule. Nothing needs to be deeper than that. Um, I like I said, I only usually troll supernatural big baits or um, bucktails, musky may on bucktails. But other than that, I mean, it's it's forty feet all the time 
to 40 to four feet. You know, the neat thing that Matt and I are both doing too, and, and Matt introduced me to this, and it wasn't new to me because I had done a lot of salmon fishing and, and things like that, trout fishing out in the Great Lakes. But um, Matt kind of uh, changed the, the sequence of the open water using a, a mass system. And um, we're using big, giant planer boards. We're running a mass system off the front of the boat. So you can control your, your depth of your bait way easier with that mass system. And the neat thing about that is, is that, you know, you're not right next to the boat. Um, planer boards are great. Um, what is the old TR44? TR44s. Um, great Which, option if yeah. you don't have a mast. But, you know, now you're going to fight that board with the fish. And so you have some of those issues as well. Um, yeah, because the, the clip the TX44 comes with won't hold the bait anyways. So you have to get the lock clips. And now if you're fishing by yourself, it's it's really a bummer because you have to try to take the board off by yourself. I mean, because it's got a lock clip on it. And I've seen lock clips. They slip too. You got to like, double wrap them. If you're in waves over two and a half feet, you have to double wrap the lock clip. And that's not a quick thing when you got a 50 incher on the end of the line, but, and you can also mast off a TX44. I've done that too. I put one rod out with the TX44, put the rod up in the air. You put two baits in front of it on that other baits line with mast clips. But if a fish eats the last bait back, which is the TX44 bait, man, you got to, it's a disaster. You better have someone else, the other two people clearing lines as fast as possible, but. It does work. You can run it TX44 as a mast. Um, and I can't take credit for the mast either. My buddy Bob Benson showed me that. Um, but it's so more convenient. If you want your bait running two inches below the surface, you clip on a foot above a four-foot leader, send, and it's hanging in the air on the mast line, and you send it down in midair, and by the time it gets way out there, you can watch the crankbait one inch below the surface the whole day. So, One thing that I find to be so funny about all this is how um like how different it muskie like the tactics are from like one area to another because like up in green bay um nobody out there run a mass system everybody runs inline boards all the time it might be because most people are only running you know six to eight inch crankbaits out there but then again you know if you go out to st Clair, they're they're probably somewhere between the six to eight inch crankbaits to the headlocks to all that. They kind of run everything out there, but the, I think I would imagine most guys out there running mass systems. Yeah. Big mass systems too. Um, and I don't know what that is. I've never fished green Bay, so I wouldn't know. I would assume with running the walleye boards like that, they can probably collect more weeds. Maybe they have more floating weeds there. I don't know, but that would be the only thing that makes sense to me because the mass system is way more convenient and way faster. It's definitely a problem out there, floating weeds. They, it can be at certain times of the year. Right now, if guys are out there trolling, which some are trolling, it's not an issue right now. I know that. Some of it might be traffic as well. Um, you know, if, if there's a ton of boats out there on the system, it can be kind of a, a troublesome. Actually, today, when we were trolling, um, I don't know how many hours we trolled today with the, with the mass system and the boards, but we had this boat come right up and they like literally pulled right up to the boards trying to figure out what we were doing. Um, people in this area, people throughout the Midwest, unless they've been on, you know, one of the great lakes or whatever and seen somebody salmon or trout fishing, 
they don't understand what we're doing. And um, I don't know, it, it's interesting watching people react to what we're actually trying to accomplish out there. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Um, I know for me personally, when I'm trolling, like if I'm up in northern Wisconsin trolling, we kind of have the same similar uh, set up like you guys do. We can only run one line per angler but I think we can only run a max of two per boat. So it doesn't matter if we want to put six guys in the boat, we can still only run two lines up there. Um, Ouch. That hurts. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even run boards at all up there. I just run two down rods pretty much. Yeah. That's how I am on the Croix. We run six down rods um, with no boards at all. Um, Deeper divers up front follow, you know, the shallower divers in the back of the pack, but yeah, that would really be a bummer. Yeah. One rod, two rods per boat. That's almost makes you not want to troll. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say in a lot of cases, um, that's kind of how it is. Sometimes I just do it to, if I know the bite is going to be a trolling bite, obviously I'll do it. But for the, I mean, it's not as advantageous as it is to, to troll it. Like, you know, up in Green Bay, for example, we can run three lines per person, as many as you want to run. So, I mean, if you got three guys in the boat, you can run nine lines. Well, obviously that's going to be, you're going to be able to cover a heck of a lot more water than you would be if you were just casting one line per person. So, but up in Northern Wisconsin, yeah, it's not quite as advantageous that way. I think they did it that way because there's a lot of smaller lakes. People are concerned about, um, you know, the boards and taking up too much room and, you know, all that up there, which I, I don't see it much of an issue because honestly, I, I've hardly ever seen anybody troll in Oneida County, where I am mostly, I don't see anybody up there trolling. I've seen, like, a handful of guys, and that's about it. It's not even an issue, I don't feel. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that. Um, So with Green Bay, you said you get three lines a guy? Yep, three lines per guy. Wow, that sounds fun. Yeah, unfortunately, here in Minnesota, we get one line per guy. And... uh so we look like a refugee boat going across the lake. You know, we, <laughs> we pile as many in as we can, and uh, just to get more lines out there. Sure, I mean I get it. Like I said, it makes sense. I wish we could do it up in northern Wisconsin. I actually wish we could at least just get, um, you know, two lines per angler, max three per boat or max four per boat, um, just because it's so much easier to try to dial a pattern in. It's a lot harder to, to dial a pattern in with only two baits. Oh, totally agree with you. That would be very tough. It's like me. If I'm by myself and it's a trolling bite, I just can't get myself to do it. I can't troll one line. I've seen too much success with the school effect, which is another reason we use a mast. To, these guys running inline boards, I mean, they're running, they got a gap on their boards. Their baits are a certain depth, width apart. We can put baits two feet apart. Sure. And we can put four baits two feet apart. Now we have a school of fish that are on each other and you just catch fish that way. You can run three baits, three feet apart from each other on one side of the mast and run four baits on the other side of the mast, 30 feet away from each other. And that side will never get bit. But the, the side with the baits right next to each other gets bit every time. And the fun thing is, it's just like casting. You have fish. It, then you get to play the bait game. I mean, then you have the leader of the pack. All right, so we have the most active bait in the front, most mellowest bait in the back. So a lazy fish will eat that bait that barely swims in the back of the pack. And then we put a crazy bait in the front that's walking all over the place, dancing, 
put that bait in the front, you know, like a 10 inch matlock. I'll put a 10 inch matlock in the middle pin, the front of the pack. And then I'll put a 10 inch or a 12 inch headlock in the back of the pack. That's barely moving, you know, with, cause I'll put a big rubber tail on it. And then in between majors and minors, we always get bit on the t- a 12 inch headlock in the back of the pack. And when the windows open, it's smash fest on the 10 inch headlock in the front. That's the most wild bait. And then, I mean, Brad and Carrie, you can talk about the tremor shad, having that in front of crankbaits. Mm-hmm. Your bait, I mean, what did that do for you last year? You know, it's amazing with the tremor shad. It's a rattle bait. It makes a ton of noise. Um, don't get me wrong. It got eaten uh, different times. But a lot of times there's an attractant bait. And uh, that tremor shad, I believe, is an attractant bait. Um, it might not get eaten every time, but what it'll do is it'll track fish and they'll eat the other quiet baits. Um, a lot of times, I mean, I've seen this numerous times with different kind of baits, you know, a 13 inch, uh, believer. If you ran that with a slammer on Malax back in the day, um, your slammers were getting eaten. The 13 inch believer got eaten here and there, but generally speaking, it was an attractant. And what it did is with those rattles in it, it would make the other baits get eaten. Uh, the tremor shad is very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like casting. I'm sure you guys have all seen that before where, you know, you have a topwater that gets bit. And, I mean, it's the best topwater you owned. But if you don't have a buck and then you go up by yourself, you know, as a guide, you're always in the back of the boat. And I'll have a certain topwater. I mean, the thing gets bit every time. But I have two bucktails in front of me. As soon as I take those two bucktails away, I go up by myself fish every day, all day long. I'll never even get a follow but these fish here baits, I mean, I, I want to know how far away a muskie can hear a globe. It'd be interesting. I mean, probably like 250 yards, I bet. I mean, it gets them excited. And then the guy, you know, whether it's a topwater in the back of the boat or a bucktail, a slow-rolled supermodel in the back of the boat, you put a globe in the front of the boat. By the time that supermodel comes through, you start getting bit. And so, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with trolling. So it's so much more fun, I think, with a mask to... Mm-hmm. Or with TX44s, you can do it with boards too. You just got to stack them right on top of each other. But uh, it's fun to play with the school effect. Same as casting. I'm sure we've all seen that before. Yeah. The school effect, the the calling out of fish. Um, if you're in a really thick cabbage bed, say later in the summer when the cabbage really gets going or coontail or whatever weed it is, um, you're throwing something or somebody. Okay, we're back. Okay, we're back. Can you us? Sorry, we had a little tef- technical difficulty there. Somebody doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> no worries. It's kind of like the camera girl. Yeah, pretty much the same. I guess we're in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> Epic fails. Right. Well, I guess that's what makes it real, right? Well, kind of where we left off, and I think where it got cut off, Jeff, you know, is um, we were talking about casting. You know, Matt had mentioned that, uh, you know, you, you build a school of baits when you're in the open water trolling. And that school of baits, a lot of times, is what triggers fish to bite because you got a couple first baits going through, and when a fish isn't real active, they might skip by those first baits that go by them. But the the trailing bait that's maybe a little less active, a little softer swim, if you will, or whatever, might cause them to eat. Not always, but it will sometimes. It's no different casting. And when you're casting in the into a really thick weed bed, you got to remember one thing. All those fish can't 
just necessarily see the bait go by. And they're in ambush spots. So chopping that whole structure apart is very important. But there's one thing that you can add to it. Um, when you're, you're fishing in thick weeds, have a noisy bait on. And a lot of times the quieter bait will end up being the one that gets caught. But that noisy bait attracts the fish up, lifts them out of the weeds so that they're visually looking at what's going on. And the quieter bait comes by and that, that's the one that gets eaten. Yeah, every time. Have you seen that, Jeff, when you've been fishing with a bunch, you know, three guys in the boat, two guys in the boat, where one bait can turn another bait on? Yeah, we've certainly seen that before, too. I mean, it's, you know, I would say Wisconsin muskies are different than Minnesota muskies, but in some instances, they're the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, opportunistic feeders that are triggered by sound vibration, for sure. Absolutely. So we ha- when we had the technical difficulty there, um, Matt mentioned to me um, while, while you were trying to figure out the recording situation, but uh, Matt mentioned to me, he goes, man, there's something else that I really want to talk about. And, you know, on- honestly, we're going to have to bring ba- Matt back on to the show at some point because he's got a ton of information. Um, but uh, I-, I want Matt to share what he was kind of thinking about and going again with the side imaging. Um, which I really believe that Matt has a ton of knowledge about and uh, can benefit all of us. Um, I know I've learned a ton from him, but he kind of wants to touch on the night fishing situation with side imaging. Um, just for the next few weeks, I, I thought about something we didn't talk about for opener. Um, I know we were kind of rambling there, but um, that for the casters, I think it's super important. I mean, these fish you're going to push fish with your boat all day these first couple weeks i'm sure you did it this weekend jeff um but there's so many fish recovering from the spawn and obviously our water temps aren't right for the open water bite yet so we have this shallow water casting bite and uh guys are catching fish uh malax went good this weekend um but the only you know my experience in this i just want to say because i hear this all the time don't fish muskies till at night until summer peak. Well, my biggest fish the first three weeks of opener, and I mean big, big fish, like 52 plus inches, have all come at night. I haven't caught too many fish over 50 on opening day in the middle of the day. Um, so you guys have these cold water temps and they're warming up and they don't get really warm till late in the afternoon and then you start to see some fish and the sun's going down and it's you and it's opening weekend you're way too excited you started at five in the morning and i think that's a lot of people's mistake in the summer you get up at 10 and you go and you fish till sundown it's the same thing they haven't changed it's you need to fish after sundown especially in those afternoons now if it's a cold front day i'll go in if it's if it was warm all day, you guys need to stay out there. You use you're out there casting all day. You know where all these fish are on side imaging, and that's the greatest thing about these new side imaging. These fish are mellow. You're pushing them with the boat. They're not following. But now you know where they all are. Go back there at night. That's when the water's the warmest. Those first two hours, especially with the moon thing. If there's a moon thing right after dark, you're gonna catch them. I just Put a cowgirl on, reel it as slow as you can. Um, I've caught them on hog wobblers and supermodels. Those are my two favorite opener baits. Um, you know, just anything big and slow. 
but like Holmgren was just talking about today, he called us. Yeah. Supermodels were the ticket. He last night he fished last night, so we didn't fish last night. But these, you know, these warm sunny days, that's a great opportunity. And these females are just recovering from the spine, and you know where they're all living now. Go out there, and that water's the warmest. They just got warmed up, and then you got a moon phase right after dark. You're gonna catch them at night. Don't be afraid to fish at night. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, honestly, you know, Matt and I this weekend really didn't uh, we didn't push it that hard on the mosquito thing. Um, we chose to uh, fish the muskies, kind of test the water, kind of see what's going on. We seen fish, we marked fish, um, we bounced from a couple different bodies of water, and we decided to go, you know, do some shore fishing actually for walleyes. Um, why? Because it's fun and they taste good. So yeah, we ate them all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we caught walleyes off the dock. It was amazing. Carrie said, "Let's go dock fishing." And I was like, oh, "No, Carrie, we're gonna bring the boat." I don't fish off docks. And she's like, don't be a snob. And I'm like, all right, I'll go with you. And next thing we know, we're crushing them. It was super fun. We got back to our ruts. <laughs> Four dozen shiners in an hour and a half. That's when you know you're catching them. Did Carrie so, actually call you a snob or did she call you a donkey? Because donkey sounds more familiar. At least that's what she calls me. She called me a donkey. You are completely <laughs> correct. You know what? I was pretty happy they were biting too because I didn't. I thought if they wouldn't have bought, we'd have never ever heard the end of it. Because <laughs> we all knew Matt was gonna go uh, a dock. Yeah. Well, we caught him. It was awesome. So he did lead. He did lead the way on on day two to the dock, though. He was all about it. Yeah, I was ready. We're going dock fishing. We're not getting three dozen shiners. We're getting six dozen shiners this time. So that was fun. Well, I think um, we kind of got through a bunch of different stuff here, Jeff, you know, and, and maybe it's information overload because we're kind of trying to hurry this and, and make it a shorter podcast than uh, than 45 minutes. But, of course, we ran over again. It's pretty easy to do, it seems like. But uh, maybe we can encourage uh, Matt to come to us with uh, a single tip, kind of like we've done with some of the other guides that we've had on. And hopefully he can share something that, that everybody can walk away with. What do you think, Matt? Wow, put me on the spot here. Um, I didn't know this was coming. One tip. Uh, well, since it's June, I'll give you this tip. Get out on the water before opener. Um, figure out your electronics. Figure out what the lakes are doing. You'll be prepared on opener. Um, know what the bait's doing. Know what the the whole ecosystem's doing. I guess that would be my tip. And uh, like I wanted to mention you guys about night fishing too. That's, you know, it's cold. It's the water's cold. So the 5 a.m. starts, I'm so excited. It's musky opener are really cool. It's fun. But if you can't hack it till 1130 at night, then you should sleep in and try fishing after dark a little bit. You could, I think 95%, 99% of musky fishermen fish in the daylight on opener. And if that changed, there'd be a lot more fish caught. I, I can't agree more. Um, here's, here's the deal, Matt. You know, I think night fishing has become kind of uh, a secondary fishing skill. Um, I remember 15 years ago, I, I felt like a vampire guiding. I mean, we, we fished yeah, every stinking night. 
Um, we might be on the water at 4 p.m., 5 o'clock p.m., but we'd fished all 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, that, that whole thing has kind of changed again, and we've slipped back into this daytime pattern. Why? Because maybe it's because we're getting old. I don't know. Here comes the old thing again, Jeff. Um, I'm, I'm but, not getting old. I'm I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, families and and things like that. I, it's tough. It really is. But I, yeah. I plan on doing a bunch more night fishing this year. And Matt's going to be hanging out here at the shop in our house. Um, he's going to be guiding over in our area, and, and we've already talked about it. We're going to do some more night stuff. And yeah, it seems. I mean, I think what happened was we stabbed them all. When the cowgirl came out, it changed everything, and we literally went out at night and caught every single fish in every lake, twice, on cowgirls. And then when juniors came out, we caught them all again, and then it got tough. And now it's kind of coming back around because everyone quit doing it. Um, I've had panic moments. Me and Luke, Bob, we'd panic. We're on Vermilion. And at 10.30, you're, you're heading in. 10.36 is like the last bite every day. That's your last chance. That's first pitch black. And we, you'd stay out till midnight. You stay out till 1. When we used to catch them all between midnight and 1. And then it was, you didn't catch them. And we get to panic mode. Clients want to go in early. We're sitting there at 10.30 having a beer. Say, we got to go. We, we got to try it. And we stay out till two in the morning, the three of us, and we don't get a follow. We don't get a bite, which is the greatest thing that ever happened to guides. We could have go to bed on time, but uh, it's well, kind of come around now. There's these certain weeks of the year that we're starting to notice where we start to catch them now at night. And uh, the more, I mean, the more you do it, the more you catch, but it, it, I mean, sort of, I guess, but it's great. I mean, I think it's coming around and now we got the new jr fours and jr threes and that's going to be the best night bait ever so i think for that. i think a lot of times though too matt um people think well it's dark we're just going to catch them but after dark there's still some of those windows that we all look for throughout the day of musky fishing there's windows at night as well and so you're going to have some dead times but you keep pushing you keep trying eventually it's, it comes through you know you get those windows at night as well yeah and these fish have all been caught at night before so other things really matter i mean you can start out the night i mean i remember the days where it was like supermodel tens and juniors those were the three baits and eventually you'd figure out what they wanted now it might take something if you might have to have marabou on the skirt and it's as simple as that and it's those little idiosyncrasies it's not like fishing at night when the cowgirl first came out anymore now it's which cowgirl has the right skirt on it what's the perfect color so a lot of people don't get that either they just think well they're not biting my i used to catch them on this one at night this was my best my black and green cowgirl was my best night bait now it might be a you know marabou supermodel or it might be might be chartreuse you know i i've seen it with light pollution whether it be from the moon or from shorelines um chartreuse and pinks really work good after dark um but it, it, there's so many different factors and, and things that take place in this whole game and uh don't be afraid to go try something really unique but because you might be the guy that actually set things on fire you know i mean you got to look at that stuff there's a few guys out there right now that are doing that right 
and that's really cool. They're throwing different baits, they're trying different things, they're going different speeds. And it's night fishing's now kind of become a, it's the same as day fishing. The windows are there. You can catch them, but you have to have the right bait on, right? So that's good stuff. I, I think uh, we reached out and maybe went a little more in depth tonight uh, with the side imaging, Jeff. And, uh, you know, there's nobody that talks that as well as Matt. Um, it's really incredible. He's helped me a ton. Uh, one thing that I would like to say is if you want to learn more about site imaging, I would encourage you to go book a trip with Matt. He's going to teach you a ton. Um, he's taught a lot of us guides a ton and, um, it's available out there. Uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, like you said, we don't need to be an info commercial for, uh, min or, um, uh, hummingbird, but you know, at the end of the day, it's such an incredible tool you can't not talk about it in the world or the realm of musky fishing, walleye fishing, crappie fishing. I don't care what it is. Um, it's definitely the tool of choice to have in your boat. So I'll leave it with that. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell us how people can reach out to you and get a hold of you? And uh, we'll go from there. Well, I got rid of my website. Uh, too busy as it is, but I will give you my cell. You can text me, would be the best. Um, I guess I could give you my email address too. I don't look at my email much. I'm always fishing too much, but it's mnmuskyguide at gmail.com. And that's uh, musky like musky mayhem, musky with a Y. mnmuskyguide at hot or at gmail.com. And my cell would be the best way. Just send me a text. Uh, I will call you back. My cell is 651 357 8709. Um, yeah, just text me. I will get back to you when I can. Um, love to go fishing with you. So it'd be great. I'm fairly busy, but I would, I can always fit a few more in. So not only yeah. muskies, but he'll do the walleye thing as well. Um, and I know he's been known to do a few crappy trips up on Vermilion as well. So yeah, if you want to come muskie fishing and you want to catch walleyes and get a limit of walleyes, I'm your guy. So we can musky fish for eight hours and get a limit of walleyes in four hours. So hopefully, <laughs> but bring your kids. We'll get them on walleyes. We can split it up. It's you got to enjoy it all. I think so. I'm not, I love musky fishing the most, but I like setting the hook all day too. So good stuff. I was going to say, a lot of great information tonight, Brad. I mean, Matt went in-depth on a lot of stuff, and there's even, like, I definitely think we got to have him back for part two because there's a lot more we could go even deeper with on this stuff as long as Matt's willing to share. Um, that's the one thing I, I want to stress about our podcast is we've been trying to do, we've been trying to go a little a little deeper than just surface-level information, Brad, and I think we've accomplished that through the first nine episodes. I, I hope so. You know, I, it's always one of them things, Jeff, where, you know, how deep do we go? Um, are we talking over people's heads or are we not even giving them anything that they are interested in? Um, you know, and the, the one thing that they can do is email us and reach out to us. Tell us, you know, what are you looking for? Do you want more in depth or do you want less in depth? I mean, give us the answer because um, we're just kind of guessing at this point. And um, why don't you tell everybody, Jeff, how they can reach out to us? So if you want to get in touch with us at Backlash Podcast, you can reach us on Facebook. Um, you can message us through there. 
You can also reach us on Instagram. You could instant message us through there, too. You can reach us uh, via email. That would be backlashpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I think that covers everything from Backlash. Uh, if you want to listen to the show, obviously you're finding it right now, but we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Those are all places to find that. Um, if you would like to get in touch with my company, that's Team Rhino Outdoors. You can find us at teamrhinooutdoors.com. We carry all the products that we talked about tonight, aside from Hummingbird stuff, because you know none of us are affiliated with Hummingbird, even though that's pretty much all we talk about. So hopefully there's somebody from Hummingbird that listens if they want to throw us a couple hundred bucks for that. That'd be sweet. <laughs> and I have to put all this out of my own pocket. Um, yeah, that wouldn't suck, yeah. Yeah, Brad and Carrie, you want to talk about something? Especially we can get a word from Carrie because she's the, she's the favorite. If, the, if she wasn't on the podcast, this thing ceases to exist. So <laughs> you want to talk a little bit, Carrie? Um, sure. <laughs> mostly just throwing the plugs about musky mayhem so brad doesn't have to do that too oh you can you can reach us at you can go on our website and reach us through the website at musky or you can email us at info at or you can message us through facebook and or instagram not bad for eleven fifteen at night you sound you sound awake should we call up another guest and see if we can do another one carrie Negative, Ghost Rider. I'm I'm up for it if you are. I mean, let's Carrie, just keep bringing Carrie got to be in the boat all weekend. She's not awake right now. I don't think. No, I got to be in the boat all weekend, and I didn't get a nap. So, um, I'm going to bed. You guys can do what you want, but I'm out. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for staying up till 11:15 with us, Carrie. We appreciate it. Thank you, Matt, for coming on tonight. And as always, Brad, thank you for hosting this show with me. I really appreciate it, and we really appreciate everybody who's uh, reached out to us and you know talked to us about the podcast through the first week. Uh, it was it was a successful week in my opinion. Hands down, Jeff. I'm I'm super pumped about what we've accomplished in a short period of time, and uh, looking forward to having you out here in a couple weeks. And we'll be talking a bunch before that, but uh, hopefully we can actually do one of these podcasts together one night. So. Yeah, for sure. And thanks for having me on, Jeff. That was really fun. And thanks, Brad. I had a good time. Yeah, it, it's fun. It really, truly is. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. And who knows? Maybe it'll be in a half hour if I can get a hold of somebody. <laughs> it will not be in a half an hour. <laughs> it will not be in a half an hour. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> All right, man. Yep. Thanks, everybody, great, for great coming night. out. Appreciate everything. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank you.